a listener production. This is Global Truths with Dr. Keith Souter. This is the podcast in which every single week we choose a situation that is unfolding somewhere in the world, something meaty, something with a bit of history behind it, and we break it down. Well, not me necessarily, but this gentleman, Dr. Keith Souter, breaks it down for you to understand a little bit better. Australian commentator for many, many years in the media on all these sorts of issues. You can throw anything at the man and he can tell you what's going on in the world. He's like a walking encyclopedia. Uh, my name is Kate Matt. We've worked together for a number of years as well in television and now the podcast. Dr. Keith, Israel and Hamas. Now, this is not a new conflict that is happening now. It is decades old. There's a huge amount of devastation. It, it, it outrages the world every time it happens. But it has been a little while. That It's not obviously peace just yet, and nor will it be when we come across some of the history, is it likely. But this is there has been a number of years now where it's been quiet on the front. Or quieter, yeah. So just by way of background, for uh, several centuries that part of the world was controlled by the Ottoman Empire, uh, the remnant of which then became modern-day Turkey. The British took over the Holy Land after World War I uh, because the Ottoman Empire had sided with Germany in World War I, so the British just grabbed that territory. The French got what is today uh, Lebanon and Syria. The British got other territory, including uh, what is today Israel and Palestine. So that they occupied that land on behalf of the League of Nations. And so that was between the 1920s and 1930s. In the 1930s particularly, there was an upsurge of anti-Jewish violence in Europe. And so Jews started to flee from Europe to the, the British territory of Palestine. And the Palestinians who were living there objected to this influx of so many Jews coming in. And the British in the late 1930s, invented the two-state solution. You know, the Americans talk about it as though they've invented it. It actually goes back to the 1930s. The British thought, look, the only way you can keep these people from fighting each other is to give them their own bit of land. So one was Israel, what we would call today Israel. The other one would be what we would call Palestine. The Jewish authorities, the Zionist authorities said, yep, we accept that. The Grand Mufti uh, in uh, Jerusalem, the um, Palestinian Islamic leader said, no, we don't, we don't accept that deal. World War II comes along. Uh, after World War II, the League of Nations becomes the United Nations. The Mandate Territory becomes a trust territory. And the British are still bogged down. They want to get out. And so in the end, in 1947, they just walked out. One American diplomat years ago used to say that if the British Empire had not existed, the United Nations would not be necessary. So many of the UN's problems come from the British and the way that they had acquired this vast empire and then walked out, leaving locals to try to sort out their problems and usually handing it over to the UN. This is one such example. So the UN then uh, revived this idea of the two-state solution. Once again, uh, the Jewish authorities said, yep, we accept that. But the Palestinians said no. And so we get then, again, this sort of stalemate. A number of people uh, wanted to go ahead and create a separate country of Israel. Local Arab states like Jordan invaded. And so you get, you get the first big war in the Middle East and the first lot of boundaries being drawn up. Part of the problem is that we do not have a clear definition in history 
of what constitutes the Israeli or the Jewish territory. You've got one school of thought, which actually talks about Israel, the Jewish homeland, stretching from the Mediterranean to the suburbs of Baghdad, uh, Babylon. So it could be a very large area. You know, that's the greater uh, Israel. You get some Israelis who who talk in those terms, but most have accepted the, the borders that came up after World War II. And we've had a series of, of conflicts in that part of the world around Israel and Palestine. And in 1967, uh, the Arab nations uh, had a surprise attack on Israel. Israel fought back and did very well, including getting far more control over Jerusalem. In the first conflict, the Israelis were governed largely by secular people who really were not that fussed about Jerusalem's historical status. By this time round, the Israelis had become far more religious and decided that Jerusalem should be their capital. Now, this is a major sticking point which continues to haunt us. The um, original UN proposal uh, back in 1947 envisaged there being two countries, Israel and Palestine, with Jerusalem itself being an international city, not governed by Jews or Muslims, which presumably would give a, a job vacancy to an atheist or a Christian or a Buddhist. Uh, that that was not acceptable to anybody. The only people who still talk in those terms, I think, is the Vatican. Uh, the, the Palestinians have said, no, the eastern Jerusalem is our territory, and um, the Israelis would say all of Jerusalem is our capital. Australia still recognises Tel Aviv as the capital of Israel, and most countries, if they have diplomatic relations with Israel, have their embassy in Tel Aviv, which is the northern part of Israel, very cosmopolitan, very smart. So we end up then with Jerusalem still being a point of dispute between the Israelis, the Palestinians, the international community. In the United States politics, most American uh, presidential candidates promised to move the American embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem and then never carry it out. Donald Trump was the president who's moved the embassy to Jerusalem. At the moment, it's just pretty well an empty block of land and they're still doing the building. But that was the promise, and that's been followed up by Biden. So that was a breakthrough on Trump's part. So that's some of the background, the dispute over the land. My own feeling is that I'm a pessimist uh, when it comes to Israel and Palestine. Too many people making too many claims on too little land that I just don't see, particularly given the history of animosity, that um, has arisen, I just don't see how you're ever going to get a peace deal. So we get then the rise of of various groups, particularly uh, the one that's been causing the problems uh, in Gaza, which is Hamas, which is the um, acronym for Islamic Resistance Movement, which uh, was established in 1987 at the beginning of what is called the Palestinian Intifada, which means uprising. And so they really have been the movers and shakers rather than the faction of Palestinians that are held uh, under the control of um, Yasser Arafat. So these are the people, Hamas, are often the movers and shakers, and they're the ones who are indulging in the violence. You're listening to Global Truths with Dr. Keith Sue. We're talking about the Hamas and Israel, or Palestine and Israel, the latest issues that are going on there, but just a bit of brief history we've been learning about, you know, why it is the way it is right now. 
And um, and Keith, it is really just, it is one of those hopeless cases where everyone in the world is invested in some capacity, knows what's going on there, but might not know the history behind it. And you've had, again, US president after US president, everyone wants to be the one that solves this issue between Palestine and Israel. And yet, no one comes close to it. You get ceasefires for a couple of years and then it all flares up again. And it is largely to do with um, an Islamist uh, militant group who have now been classified a terrorist organisation, which is Hamas. And then you've got Fatah as well in Palestine, which is the more peaceful, well, it's labelled the more peaceful side. So you got, Hamas are li- largely seen as troublemakers, you'd say, Keith, right? They're the ones that will just start firing rockets in, get on the back of a political situation unfolding, start to fire rockets. And then Israel, well, am I wrong to say they tend to overreact by then sending in planes to bomb buildings and... Your problem for Israel is that they can certainly send in the bombs and the planes, but we're talking about a very crowded area and pretty soon civilians start getting killed. So you've really now got within Palestine, if one could talk about that as an entity, you've really got two wings in that area. You've got the Gaza Strip, which is out on the Mediterranean, and then to the east, very confusingly called the West Bank, because it's the West Bank of the major river that runs north to south within Israel and separates Israel from Jordan. And so you've got this piece of territory on the West Bank of the of the Jordan River. That is controlled by one faction of the Palestinians. They're the ones who are willing to negotiate with Israel. On the other hand, you've got Hamas, which is this Islamic resistance movement who control Gaza. So the background to this is that Hamas was formed as, you know, when you had this spontaneous uprising by young Palestinians who just figured, look, we're not getting anywhere with negotiations. All these old corrupt men who were supporting Yasser Arafat, they're not doing any deals. We need action. So Hamas was originally one to carry out the armed struggle against Israel. They deny the right of Israel to exist. So these are really, really hardliners. So they're going to carry out the struggle. Secondly, what they're also doing is creating social welfare programs because they're saying, look, the uh, other end of the Palestinian spectrum with the Fatah group controlled by Yasser Arafat, those people are too lazy, they're corrupt, they receive all this foreign aid from the European Union and elsewhere, but they're not spending it on us in Gaza. We will create our own social welfare programs. It's a very smart way of operating. They're shown to be willing to stand up to the Israelis and at the same time are providing welfare programs. And then more recently, in 2005, when Israel realised that it was impossible to continue to occupy Gaza, the Israelis said, all right, we'll pull out. That then created the opportunity to have elections in Gaza, and the elections were won by Hamas, which is to be expected. They were the ones providing social welfare programmes. If you're in trouble... If your kid was sick or needed to go to school, etc., you went to Hamas. Fatah, the group that was controlled by Yasser Arafat and is now Mahmoud Abbas, they're corrupt, or at least that was the argument. And so, therefore, in the election, they did very well. And and there has not been a, a new election since then. Now, there was one planned for the beginning of the year, the argument being that a new government in the United States, Joe Biden's government, would be coming to office. Therefore, we Palestinians needed to lift the quality of our game. We will show to them that we are democratic. We will have an election. But that was all suspended because of the violence. And this is part of the problem we're dealing with 
at the moment with the violence in Gaza and with Israel that you've not only got these sort of deep-seated military and political issues, the hostility between Palestinians and Israelis, but within both communities, you've got separate political agendas. So in the case of Hamas, they enjoy being seen as really the deal breaker when it comes to um, doing any deals with Israel. They've said, we will not do deals with Israel. Uh, We do not accept that Israel has a right to exist. So any time that you get moderate Israelis and moderate Palestinians coming together, trying to work on a deal, then they let off a suicide bomb in Israel and it kills the deal because suddenly you get this outrage amongst the Israelis who are saying we can't negotiate with the Palestinians because the Palestinians can't control this Hamas group. So, in fact, Hamas then controls the speed at which negotiations could take place in Israel. So, periodically, they just disrupt all of the proceedings. Now, you go to the other end of the spectrum, which are the Israelis. They've got their own problems. They've just had four general elections in a row, and they still haven't sorted out who's going to be prime minister. They have a, uh, an interesting political system based on effectively proportional representation. And the country is very badly divided. And you've got a variety of political parties in, in Israel, and they're in a parliamentary situation, but they have difficulty on agreeing who should be the prime minister. The front runner for a while has always been Benjamin Netanyahu, been a long-term serving prime minister. And what is interesting is that the Clinton administration, which was the last time an American president got close to making a deal between Israelis and Palestinians, a lot of that deal was overturned by the violence from Hamas. Meanwhile, at the other end, the Israeli end, um, the bombings helped bring Benjamin Netanyahu to power because he said, you can't do a deal with Palestinians. So the moderate Israelis were pushed out of power and Benjamin Netanyahu comes to power. So in a sense, he's the mirror image of Hamas. <laughs> so you've got these two extremists in Israel, and it's just very difficult to see how things are going to proceed from that point of view. And the latest bit of violence, you know, um, and we're careful about when we do this podcast, we know it's going to date, but the latest at the moment is that uh, it was sparked by the fact that Palestinians living in East Jerusalem were to be evicted pending a, a judicial outcome, yeah. but to be evicted off their land that they've lived in for decades and generations now. Um, and the Israeli hardliners, the right-wingers, were marching to call for their eviction as well. So that sparked. Is that right? That's okay. right, yeah. So, uh, and remember, uh, everybody criticises Benjamin Netanyahu for being an extremist, but you've got extremists who are more extreme than he is, and that's part of the problem, that you've got really big hardliners, you've got a settler movement. In other mm. words, the settlers who are in the West Bank, so we're now on the other side of the country, it's not that far, I've got to say, it's on the other side of the country, um, and they're saying that this is land that God gave to us. That's the Israeli argument. That's the Israeli argument, and the Palestinians are saying, we have had people living here for centuries. Mm. You guys were uh, expelled, depending on how you want to do the arithmetic, in the year AD 70 uh, or in the year AD 125, most Jews were, were driven out. Um, they went to live in other parts of the world, in Eastern Europe, Western Europe, etc. And the Palestinians have said, we've just been here all that time. And now you're building on our land. And now you're building on our land. And, so, and, in, and in, I guess, to, to paint the picture, the problem that Israel has from a PR perspective as well is that there are a lot of, there's a lot of poverty in Palestine, yeah. huge amounts, and 
They have to cross checkpoints to get even across to see their relatives on a daily basis. They need to go through checkpoints to get to a work for hours, sometimes at a time. There is no money there. It's poverty stricken. They're subjected to a lot of violence from the Israelis, but, you know, overreactions, what, what the world says overreactions, and that's the problem for the Israelis because they don't want the violence either from Hamas, but their reaction yeah. and then the civilian deaths are usually all on the Palestinian side and children die, and which is we've just seen the case in the last week or so, you know, nearly 50 yeah. children die and the rest of the world, well, what do they do? They they usually back Palestine, don't they, Keith? Um, well, it depends. Some countries back Palestine and, of course, others like the United States back Israel. And the problem is, you know, people say we need to have objective coverage of Israel and Palestine, but there is no objective measure of objectivity in the media. So I know when I speak on this topic, I have to use one set of language when I'm in Australia. If I were in another part of the world, it would be a different set of language because you've got different mindsets uh, with, with people. So there is no uh, notion of objective truth when it comes to Israel and Palestine because you've just got disputing interpretations. You know, Hamas is saying now, look, we've got a new charter. Uh, we're not quite so antagonistic towards Israel. But if you're an Israeli, do you feel comfortable doing a deal with Hamas? Will they then lull you into a full sense of security and then cut your throat? In a sense, we go all the way back to the late 1930s with the British. The British were occupying a territory called Palestine and they were trying to work out what you would do with this influx of, of Jews from Europe. One approach is to create one big, huge, independent territory which would have Jews living alongside Palestinians or you would create two states. And they are still basically the, the two options you've got. So after 90-odd um, years, we're still back to where the British were trying to work out what they were going to do. In other words, that if you have one giant, uh, comparatively speaking, one giant state for Israel, the real problem for the Israelis will be the maternity wards of the Palestinians. That's the long-term threat. Eventually, you will end up with more Palestinians living in a united Israel than you'd have Israelis. So they would lose out at the ballot box. So you then say, all right, well, the British idea was then to have two states, what the Americans have called the roadmap for peace and all sorts of things, but it's basically this idea of two separate territories, one for Israelis, one for Palestinians, and you've got the problem of where do you draw the lines? Every time the option has been given to the Palestinians, they have had less land in that deal. So every time the offer gets revived, remember we go back to the late 1930s when it was rejected by um, the Palestinian authorities, and every subsequent attempt, they're always offered slightly less land each time, and they keep saying no. And you've got a group like Hamas saying, we want all of it. So I just don't see how you can actually bring peace. All you can do is you wait for both sides to get combat fatigue. The fighting dies down. So the last fighting was seven years ago. We can expect perhaps a lull for another seven years and then it'll pick up again. So it's no quick fix. It's no. Uh, it's kind of a watch this space type of um, scenario, Keith. No, no quick fix at all. No. So we'll be talking about this again, I would assume. <laughs> 
Global Truths was presented by Dr. Keith Suter and me, Kate Mack. Produced by Matt Dwyer. Audio production by Darcy Thompson. Listener.